So in the first uh, service, I said that not many people would know this guy I'm gonna, about to mention, but Jeff and I, and then an elder corrected me. Uh, Donald Cerrone goes by Cowboy. He's a UFC fighter. Um, he is a wild dude. Leading up to his fights, you only get paid if you show up to the fight and you're healthy and you fight. Leading up to his fight, naturally, he does insane stuff. He'll go skydiving, ride around on dirt bikes, go cave diving, whatever. He's just that kind of uh, that kind of guy. In 2008, uh, he was cave diving. He's a certified cave diver, and he goes cave diving with his um, instructor. They get on a boat. They go find caves in the ocean. However, one finds a cave in an ocean. Um, he kisses his girlfriend and new baby goodbye, um, and she says, I've got this bad feeling uh, about this dive, and I don't want you to go. And, you know, he says something like, honey, uh, I'm coming home. I always come home. I'm coming home. Right? And I can imagine she's like, I married an animal, a wild animal. I'm not sure if he's actually going to come home. But uh, he says, I'm coming home. I always come home. Uh, they get to the cave, and um, I'm no cave diver. Um, but uh, from what I understand from his story is that caves, these caves sometimes will have main lines that are permanent in the cave. So they've got these lines that are hooked into the cave where when you get into the cave, uh, you can follow these lines and help you get in and out. But these lines don't come out all the way uh, exiting the cave because they don't want some amateur cave, uh, uh, cave diver finding a cave accidentally and not knowing what they're doing and they follow this line into this cave and then they no one ever sees them again. So you have to make a jump into the cave, it's what it's called, where you, you set up basically this temporary line uh, so that you can follow the main line, hit your temporary line, and then get out, okay? Um, so they make the jump, they get into the cave, and the instructor's in front of uh, Donald Cerrone, cowboy, um, he's got the line to hook them in to make sure that they can get out of this thing pretty easy. He loses buoyancy. Uh, he hits the top of the cave, and he starts to essentially panic. Um, the, the, the line is getting wrapped around him, and, and just kind of chaos is, is uh, breaking out. And uh, Donald is behind him seeing what's happening, and this guy's panicking, and he's flailing, and he's kicking around, um, and uh, he starts kicking up all this silt, and, and the sediment and the sand on the cave floor, and it just starts to, to silt out is what it's called. And it's just utter darkness. And he's watching this happen, and he knows there's this unofficial rule in cave diving. And that's that if things go wrong with another diver in the cave, you don't go get them. Because it's better that only uh, one person doesn't make it out than two people. But he his heart is pulled, and he's like, I don't know if he can breathe. I don't know what's going on. I can't see him in this darkness, and so he goes in, and he breaks the rule, and he goes in, and uh, the guy's just freaking out and panicking to such a degree he can't help, and he backs out, okay? He backs out, and then he thinks, I'm going to go back in. I mean, he breaks the rule again. He's going to go back into the darkness to help this guy. Well, th at this time, he goes into the darkness, and he can't, he can't find his instructor, and it's pitch black. He can't see his hands in front of his face. He doesn't know what's up. He doesn't know what's down. He doesn't know backwards and forwards. He, he has no, no understanding of where he is, where he's looking, what's going on. And he just begins to panic and hyperventilate. And you can imagine he's on air. He's on an air tank. He's got a limited amount of time to breathe. And he's in pitch blackness, utter darkness. Well, he's swimming around, and he eventually uh, makes his way out but he's on the wrong side. So behind him is the cave, deeper and deeper into the cave. And in front of him is utter darkness, separating him and light, him and the exit, him 
and the rest of his life. So he, he's trying to calm himself down. He's absolutely freaking out. And he, he knows, I've got one option, go into the darkness and try to get out, right? So he's going in, and you can, you can think to yourself, when you're swimming in the darkness trying to find the exit, you don't want to hit anything, right? You, you don't want to hit the cave wall. When you think, I'm hoping exit is in front of me, I'm hoping open water, well, boom, he hits the cave wall and just starts panicking and freaking out. Starts swimming around, boom, hits the cave wall. Utter darkness, absolutely freaking out, hyperventilating, thinking about telling his girlfriend, I'm coming home, I always come home, thinking is this is, this is how it ends for me. I can't believe this. You hear about this happening, and now I'm here. He, he makes his way out of the darkness, caves behind him, He's not on the right side, goes back in, boom, hits the cave wall, and he's just freaking out. Well, he remembers um, in his panic that there was a crack in the cave wall as they were coming in uh, above them. There was this, this crack. He fills up what's called a buoyancy chamber, which knocks him to the top of the cave uh, ceiling. He turns around, so he's upside down at this point in, in pitch black, in utter darkness, and he's looking for this crack that he vaguely remembers coming in. So he finds this crack, and he just, I mean, hoping against hope, just starts following it, following it, following it. Pitch black, utter darkness, can't see his hands in front of his face, following the crack, and then all of a sudden, green glow out of nowhere. So he just starts swimming for that green glow, and then, boom, hits cave wall. It's just some kind of, I don't know, some kind of hole. I don't know how these caves work. Light's coming in, but he can't get out. It's not where he came in. Follows the crack, follows the crack, and then all of a sudden, boom, open water and light. And uh, he's here to tell the story. It's an amazing story. Now, I want to ask a weird question. Uh, What would it look like, what would it feel like if he didn't know he was in darkness that whole time? I mean, if you were watching this, if you could peer into this event, and he's in utter darkness, and he knows he's in darkness, and so he's panicking, and he's trying to find light, I want you just to imagine, I know it's a weird question, imagine for a second, what would it look like if he just didn't even know he was in darkness? He was in darkness, blind, didn't know it. You might watch him swim around peacefully in an incoherent pattern because he can't see where he's going and he has no idea, just peacefully breathing, not panicking, just swimming around, and you'd, you'd eventually be like, what's this guy doing? Like he, he bumps into the cave wall and then just kind of turns around and then bumps into that cave wall and then hits the ceiling and... He's just in dark. What's, it, would, it would just be incoherent. It wouldn't make any sense, right? Because it would be a person in darkness who doesn't know. It would be a darkness so dark, you don't, even, you don't even know you're in it. Weird question, but it's the world of John 9. It's the world of John 9 that we're about to enter into. So, please stand for the hearing and reading of God's word. Various excerpts from John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground 
and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So for the second time they called the man and he, uh, who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, pray with me. God, as we uh, do each week, we ask that you would speak to us, you would um, work among us by your word and through your word that uh, as we pray each week, Jesus, that you would uh, shine on the page. You would make yourself uh, clear to our minds and real to our hearts uh, in this text and in this chapter of scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we read it, it might have jumped out to you. It jumped out to me in verse one, how this whole thing kicks off. In verse one, he says, and as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the reason uh, that jumped out to me is because I think, what an odd question. What a strange question. They see this man born blind. He's probably pretty known in the community um, uh, as a a, a man who's born blind, who's been maybe at the same place uh, trying to beg and and make his way through life. Um, And they ask, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents uh, to cause this suffering? And I think, what a, what a foreign, weird question. But there's a couple things to know to, to make sense of this. It was a common idea that suffering was always the, the direct result of sin. Okay, so you can think of the book of Job. Job's friends, Job suffers not because of some sin in him, but all of his buddies think that's the case. Hey, just Job, admit. Admit why you're suffering. Admit the sin. What is it, right? Um, but we can also identify with this, I think, fairly easily. Because when suffering, if you're like me, uh, strikes my life, my natural knee-jerk reaction uh, is to think, what have I done? Or what about me? Or what in my life has maybe brought this about? That God is, that it, that God is allowing this. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's my own. I, I get it. I get the question. Um, when, when it's taking much longer to 
uh, get pregnant than you'd like. It's taking much longer to land that solid job, to uh, find a spouse. Uh, Whatever suffering it might be, it's easy to ask, what have I done or what has someone done? What kind of sin has angered God? That, that I'd receive this kind of suffering, you know, and then if I can figure that out, I can get that sin out of my life and then, then release blessing. So these people, I mean, this kind of question, this is the kind of question we ask and we think, right? This is, this is pretty, uh, pretty normal if you think about it, but the idea is that they're pointing the finger and they're just trying to figure out where their finger should be pointed. Who's the sinner? Who's the sinner? Is it this guy? Is it his parents? Who is it that's brought this about? That's, that's essentially their question and their vantage point. Jesus answers the question and then kind of sidelines the question. Uh, he says it's not him, it's not his parents. Uh, but while it's day and while I'm here, while the light of the world is here, let's work the works of God. And let's, let's light up the darkness, okay? So this is what Jesus does. He spits on the ground, which is strange. He makes mud with his saliva. He uh, anoints the man's eyes, and then he says, go uh, wash in the pool of Siloam, and, and, uh, and the man does it. He goes to the pool, and he washes, and he comes back seeing. Man born blind, no hope of ever seeing, right? There's no way that this is a temporary blindness because he's always been blind. All of a sudden, Jesus, mud on the eyes, go wash. He washes and he can see for the first time in his life. You can imagine the stir this caused in the community, right? All these people who've been watching this man, maybe many of them who've known him from birth. Yeah, this is the man. I mean, it's not like many people in this community were born blind. It's not, probably not a normal thing. So they know him. They've seen him begging probably for years and years, so they would recognize him. All of a sudden, start questioning, is this him? Is this him? This miracle is so shocking that people who probably, on any other day, right, would walk by and recognize him. Hey, Tom, um, go, I don't think that's Tom, because Tom's never been able to see, and he can see, and even though it, it looks exactly like him, there's no way this is him. Because it's, it's utterly shocking that this, that this would occur, okay? So they all start debating, and for whatever reason, they bring him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, the, the Bible scholars. They bring him to the Pharisees. I don't know why. We, I, I don't think we know why. They bring him to the Pharisees maybe to investigate it. There's this religious guy who healed this guy, and maybe they'll investigate what's going on. You know, I, I don't know. But they bring him to, um, they bring him to the Pharisees, and, uh, and, and this is what John writes in verse 14 says, now it was, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now, if this story were a grenade, verse 14 just pulled the pen, okay? Uh, because on the Sabbath day, making mud would be like kneading dough, kneading bread, which was not allowed, according to the Pharisees, on the Sabbath day, Okay? Anointing for healing was another rule they had. You, you can anoint for other purposes, but you can't, for whatever reason, anoint for healing on the Sabbath day. So Jesus needs mud and then anoints for healing, and it was on the Sabbath. Okay? Um, like I said, pin pulled in terms of this miracle. So they asked the guy, um, hey, how do you see? How do you see? If, if you were born blind, we'll just entertain this for half a second. If you were born blind, how do you now see? He says, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. And then verse 16, some of the Pharisees' response, it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. 
for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, this strikes me as a strange response. The man was born blind, never been able to see. Jesus walks up and heals him. And he says, he made mud and he anointed my eyes for healing on the Sabbath. And they go, case closed. Not from God. Right? Isn't that strange? Like, if I or Jeff, we have a member born blind, spits on something, puts it on his eyes, go wash in the water fountain, heals him, you're, you're taking him out to coffee. You're like, hey, Colin, let's go to Common Grounds because I'd like to ask you about the miracle you just performed. Right? None of that. None of that. He, you're telling me he made mud on the Sabbath? You're telling me he anointed for healing on the Sabbath? Maybe he has a demon. I don't know. Maybe by a demon he did this miracle, right? But he's not from God's strange, strange response. He broke their rules on the Sabbath, right? And they deem him case closed, not from God. But it gets weird because they question him more. They question him more. They say, what do you think about him? He says, I think he's a prophet. And this is strange that they question him more because in verse 18, we're told that the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. So they don't believe him. They don't believe it happened, but yet they're interrogating and still questioning him. Like, what do you, what do you say about him? What do you think about him? So if you've ever, you're married, you've ever woken up from a dream, and in your dream your spouse gets in this fight with you and they're mean to you, and you wake up just like angry at them, right? You're like mad at them for something they didn't do, right? This is, this is what the Pharisees are doing at this point. This is what I see. They're certain that this is all a lie. This guy's always been able to see this never happened. This miracle didn't happen. But Jesus is definitely not from God because he made mud and put it on his eyes on the Sabbath day. But don't get me wrong, that never happened. But he's definitely not from God because he did that. Right? Strange. Very strange. Very strange response. Uh, Despite this, they go to his parents and they ask him, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if he was born blind, how does he see? His parents go, yeah, this is our son. Uh, Yeah, this guy, this son of mine, was born blind, and this guy right here, he can see. And they ask, how can he see? Well, they know if they say Jesus, and they start implying that maybe Jesus is the Savior, maybe he's the one that their Bible said was coming, they'd get in big, big trouble. So they go, just go ask him how he sees. He's our son. He was born blind. He can see Just ask him how he sees, right? Incredible parenting moment, right? That should make us all feel great. Like, we're doing well. Um, uh, So they go back to him. They go back to him. Probably at this point, the evidence is is so um, piling high that they know that this happened. I mean, it says that they didn't believe until they talked to his parents. But they go back to him, probably with the knowledge that this happened. And again, not let's get coffee. They don't go find Jesus. Okay, the evidence, okay, Jesus, you did this. We need to figure out if you did this by a demon or maybe if we should follow you. Um, None of that. They go back to him and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, tell the truth. We know he's a sinner. Just totally ignoring the miracle and the evidence, just pushing it aside, didn't happen, no way. Just admit he's a sinner. Admit that he's not from God. And so this is how our guy responds, uh, our formerly blind guy, verse 25. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though, he, though I was blind, now I see. 
I don't know, I don't know if he's a sinner, I don't exactly know who he is, I don't even want to engage in your conversation, but I'm telling you the concrete reality is I was born blind, I've never seen anything, and now I'm looking at you. So he puts the focus right back where they don't want to look. Not, not necessarily purposefully, that's just what he knows. He just puts the focus right back where they don't want to look at what they don't want to see, and at this point, honestly, at what they seem incapable of seeing. What they seem like Maybe they can't see, almost as if maybe they're blind. I don't know. So they question him again. They keep questioning him. And, and he's totally perplexed. And, and he goes, Do you guys, are you guys questioning me because you want to be his disciples? <laughs> I don't know if he did it to, like, you know, zinger. I don't know why. he. I don't, I don't know if I honestly, he might have just thought, I can't think of another reason you're still talking about this. Then you're just trying to figure out if you should follow him and trust him. Well, this just sets them off, right? Verse 28, they say, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from, right? We know that God has spoken to Moses. We have Moses. We have the law of Moses. We have that. This guy, who knows where this guy's from? Like, as if he's not walking around raising dead people and healing people born blind. Like, I don't know. The evidence just isn't there. We just don't know. We're really thinking through this one, though. We'll get back to you. Right? We're going to create a study committee, and we're going to figure this out. We just don't know, right? So this, this, our guy's done at this point. He's just done with this whole thing. And in verse 30, he gives his best response. He goes, the man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. This is amazing. This is like a miracle in itself. This is like more amazing than, than, than a man born blind would be able to see that you can't, you can't follow the breadcrumbs to figure this out, that you can't see what I see so clearly about Jesus. You can't seem to follow the crack in the cave wall to the light. This is, this is amazing. How can you, in other words, he doesn't say this, but the thrust of the story is, this is amazing. What are you blind? What are you blind? Can you not see? This doesn't make any sense. It's all right in front of you. Are you blind? And the answer, the story, uh, is answering that question, yes. You are blind. You can't see. The irony of this whole story is that the ones who should see, the ones who have Moses, and remember what Jesus said about Moses? He wrote of me. What you're seeing is what Moses wrote about. The ones who have Moses, the ones who have the Bible, the Bible scholars, the ones who claim that they can see clearly They know that Jesus isn't from God. The irony of the whole story is that they are the ones in utter blindness, swimming around in utter uh, darkness. It's not that, it's not that they can't, they just can't piece together the crack on the cave wall. It's that they don't even know they're in darkness. They, they, their blindness is so blind that it says, I see, I can see. Their darkness is so dark that it says and it feels like I'm in the light. I'm in the light more than everyone else. I will teach you about the light. I will teach you about what it means to be blind and what it means to see. That's how clearly I can see. That's how, that's how much I live in the light. I'm not blind. I don't need sight given to me. I will help you see. Right? So what is blindness? That's all kind of vague. What is blindness? We get exactly what this blindness is and what this darkness is in verse 34. They answered him. They answered the formerly blind man. You were born in utter sin. 
and would you teach us? They just acknowledge, by the way, that he was born blind, because that's how they know he was born in utter sin. The Pharisees in this story, their blindness is that everyone in this story is sinful. Everyone in this story is in sin and lacking righteousness, except for them. Not even Jesus, not even the Son of God, passes their test of righteousness. Who's the sinner? All of y'all, just not us. You were born in sin, not us, so we'll teach you. We'll teach you. Uh, We've been able to escape it. We've been able to establish our own righteousness. This blindness that is so blind, you don't even know you're blind, says, I have my own righteousness. I have established my own righteousness. I can see. I have gained sight. Maybe I was born seeing. Maybe I gained it somehow, but I have it, so I don't need Jesus. I don't need this light of the world. I don't need uh, all of this. So this is the dark irony of sin, is that it masquerades as righteousness. If you want to talk about the most sinister reality of sin, um, when you get down real deep into how dark it is, uh, it begins to say, I'm not here. You're righteous. You're holy in and of yourself. You can be holy and you can be righteous in and of yourself. And then you can go out and teach others how to be righteous. All those other people who were born in sin and still trapped in it. You can be a guide to them. Uh, Here's the key to this story, though. This story is not about people who, it's not about the Pharisees who failed to establish their righteousness uh, and other people who didn't other people who, who were able to do it, who were successful. It's not about that at all. The key to understanding the story is to understand that everyone in the story is blind. Everyone in this story is blind except for one person. Every single person we see is, is born in this darkness, is born in this blindness of trying and seeking to establish your own righteousness such that you don't need grace. Everyone, all of us are born into this reality. Uh, everyone in this story is born into it except for Jesus, and that's why no one seeks, for, seeks out Jesus. Did you notice that in this story, that not a single person goes to find Jesus? Not even the blind guy in verse 1. No one's looking for him. Everyone is blind. Christianity is not about blind people who make their way to find light. Christianity is not about people in darkness who realize it and then by their own strength or by their own intellect or by their own sincerity or by their own devotion, find light and bring light into their world. It's not what Christianity uh, is about. And it's still true of you today that as a Christian, as people with eyes opened by Jesus, it's not as though he's done some of the work and now the rest of your Christian life is trying to attain and bring more light into your world and to activate God to to send more light to you. If you could just be more devoted and more sincere and more surrendered uh, to God, you can get more light. Christianity is about the light of the world seeking people in darkness who don't even know they're there. And then as a Christian, him coming after you again and again and again and again. That's why there is one person in the story who can see. Everyone else is blind. That's why the blind man's story is not, I see, I see now, I see. It's, I was blind and now I see. 
I was blind and now I see. People with eyes open know that they were once blind. And then light showed up. Uh, That's why in verse 1, the blind man wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus just showed up. Jesus showed up. He didn't say, oh Jesus, heal me. Jesus just showed up and brought light into his world. That's why in verse 16, when the Pharisees were debating this, some of them outright rejected Jesus, but it says that some of them said, can a sinner do signs like these? They started to question. It seems like the light started to break in even into the darkest corner of this whole passage. Are we sure, are we sure that he's not the light of the world? And that's why at the end of it in verse 35, It says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. So it begins with a blind person not seeking Jesus and then it ends with a blind person, uh, uh, someone who now can see, not seeking Jesus, but it begins and ends with Jesus seeking them. Jesus, through this whole passage, the only one who can see the light of the world going after people in darkness and pulling them out, finding them going after them so that suddenly they see and they go, I didn't even know I was blind. And now I can see because the light showed up. Jesus showed up. He says this in verse 36, uh, Jesus asked him, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. Think about this. This guy has seen almost nothing. Up to this point, he has a very short list of everything he's seen in his life. And now, on that very short list is the face of Jesus Christ. The face of the Son of God. The face of the light of the world. And he wasn't even looking for him. Jesus just showed up in the darkness. And Jesus does this because at the cross, he becomes our darkness. He who knew no sin, he who knew no darkness becomes our sin, goes into the darkness, goes into our darkness to pay the price and then to unleash his light into our world, his forgiveness and his grace and his life. Amen.